the world has moved on and time has grown strange. Car's a real duck. Car? What does car mean? It means you're playing someone who's going to destroy you. All things serve me. Tell the man in black I say hello. The world as Roland had always known it would be swept away. It starts here. From its field of roses, the dark tower cries out in its beast's voice. Time is a base on the water. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work, including a full archive of our episodes, at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod, and follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content, both uh both Stephen King related and obsessive viewer related and anthology related it's everything um spread across all of obsessiveviewer.com's various podcasts but if you just want Stephen King Patreon content there is a tier for the $4 t- uh $4 Stephen King specialty tier where you get just filtered out anything uh all you get is a, a filter of the Patreon content that's all related to Stephen King. So Anyway, again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and today on the show, we are starting our podcast journey to the Dark Tower with a look at The Gunslinger, Chapter 1, aptly titled The Gunslinger. And joining me to do that, of course, is my comate, Tiny. Hi, Tiny. How are you doing this evening? Hey, buddy. I'm good. I'm not sure how much I love the word comate. Yeah. Well, you know. You know. We're we're two two mates, uh, bound by ka, um, to speak into <laughs> microphones about uh, Stephen King <sighs> and other stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At least most people who are listening to this understand what ka is, and it doesn't exactly. sound as weird or crazy to them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um. <laughs> That's weird because like you you showed me your new tattoo you got a Polish tattoo thing because um, mm-hmm. of your your Polish ancestry um, I got a like I got your face on my chest with comate uh, underneath it um, <laughs> I'm kind of regretting that now <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway uh, yeah so tiny how how's it going are you excited for this episode awesome yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, I am excited uh to record this. We had to cancel once and mm-hmm. we've been I listened to this a few times and so like it's been good 2-3 weeks, so yeah, really ready to get into it. Nice. So same here. I uh I'm just I'm really excited to to start really diving deep into this series. Um because it's I mean it's our favorite thing. Um it's the reason we started this podcast. Um and really, one of the things I'm so excited about doing is going 
piece by piece and going like uh, part by part and just like really spending time dissecting certain sections of the story. Um, I think that that's going to be a really fun uh, experience for us. Uh, yeah. Uh, going forward yeah. with this. So, yeah. Mm hmm. So um, I just had to pause and cough really quick. But anyway, um, so yeah, I should say before we get into our Stephen King news and check-ins, I do want to say that uh, once again, I'm going to plug Patreon, but I'm going to plug Patreon in in regards to what we're doing here. And what I mean by that is that we're going to be doing Tower Junkies episodes for, you know... Uh, every step of the way through the dark tower saga. I don't know. I can't commit to how long that's going to take us. I don't know. We're not going to, it's not going to be like, like every episode going forward, isn't going to be a dark tower episode, but we're going to do it in a hopefully timely fashion. But having said that, whenever we do a dark tower episode on Patreon, we will have exclusive content regarding or related to Stephen King and the Dark Tower. So, for instance, what we're what we're doing is we're calling it the Wheel of Ka episodes um, on Patreon. So instead of recording a B-roll episode like we usually do, where we're just kind of uh, riffing and talking and catching up and everything, we have like a prompt uh, that we follow, and we're going to kind of talk about that on Patreon. Now, the thing about the Patreon uh, stuff is that it's going to be spoiler heavy. So, if you're just going through the, the Dark Tower for the first time um, with us, I would say maybe don't check out those Wheel of Ka episodes on Patreon, but those Patreon recordings are available uh, to the $4 Patreon tier that's for Stephen King content only, um, or I think I'm going to put them on the $2 tier as well and $5 and $10. Um, but anyway, the $4 Stephen King tier is kind of the sweet spot where you can get everything, including the commentary tracks that I do. That's also for the $5 tier. So, um, anyway, this time we discussed how Roland's first appearance read within the context of the whole series. Um, and it was a fun little discussion and we talked a lot about our history with the series and everything as well. So how'd you feel about that tiny? Pretty good. I'm. I like the idea of. Uh, I like the idea of doing that because we're multi-time mm -hmm. readers, and so we yeah. have obviously not a unique perspective, but mm -hmm. that's something that we could give to our other listeners, I guess, that have read this before. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. And uh, and the plan also for me is that I'm also going to be covering, hopefully, the Dark Tower comic books on Patreon alongside our reading and everything. So initially I was going to skip over to the gunslinger, uh, comic series that, that kind of does the gunslinger. Um, but I'm actually going to go publication order. So that's also going to be kind of spoilery as well. So I'm sorry, but, um, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Um, but basically I'm starting with the gunslinger born, uh, which is the first, you know, Dark Tower comic graphic novel uh, from Marvel. Um, and then I'm going to do The Long Road Home. So uh, I have a whole stack. We're going to do that. It's going to be fun. But um, also on that note, I, I guess we can go into Stephen King news and check-ins because I just realized that I, I have a news item uh, related to that. Do you want us to go into that, Tiny? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay. So... As I said, I'm going to be reviewing the comic series um, on Patreon, and then we might do like a uh, an episode here or there 
um, on the main feed uh, when I finished the comic series and everything. But I do want to mention that I... So the comic books are interesting. And, and now this is when we're getting into the, you know, um, news and check-ins and everything. So um, the... The comic books are interesting because they're Marvel, but they are in the process. I thought that they had already been republished by, uh, I think it's like Gallery 13 is the imprint that's publishing it. Uh, Gallery 13, yes. But um, instead, it hasn't come out yet. So they're th- they're publishing three omnibuses, um, one for each each kind of series of graphic novels. They're all the same, the same comic books, the same graphic novels that Marvel had, but they're just rebranding it. So the first series, which covers basically Roland um, in Mages, most, most of Wizard and Glass and the aftermath of Wizard and Glass, um, they're rebranding that as Stephen King's The Dark Tower Beginnings. Um, in the complete graphic novel saga, that is going to run you $100 on Amazon, uh, it's available to pre-order because it's not coming out until September 28th of this year. And then uh, the next series is The Gunslinger, which recounts The Gunslinger, uh, um, of course. And that comes out October 26th, 2023. Uh, that'll also run you $100. And then finally, the last series is, of course, The Drawing of the Three. Uh, they're going to have an omnibus that's also going to be $100. That's going to come out in November of this year. So I'll put affiliate links in the show notes. So if you want to pre-order it and everything, uh, if you want to go to our sh- our um, our uh, show notes at towerjunkiespod.com slash 085, click the link on those show notes um, and then pre-order it from there. And then we'll get a little bit of a commission on the sale. Um, but yeah, but the cover art looks really cool. Um, I don't know if I'm going to spring for them, um, because I have the original like Dark Tower Omnibus, the, the Gunslinger Omnibus, um, which actually fetches a pretty big price on Amazon these days. Um, I think it's like on sale for like 350 bucks or something. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, but I do have, uh, the Dark Tower ones, the, the, uh, what's being rebranded as the beginnings as beginnings. Um, I have all of those in individual, um, individual volumes. So I'm like, uh, a box set of those that looks really appetizing. So I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. That's cool. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't know they were doing that. That's really awesome. Um, I'm yeah. definitely going to get them. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you own any of the comics in, in physical form? I own quite a few of them, um, but I think some of the later mm-hmm. ones I don't have. So yeah, I really wish they would have gone through the whole series and everything, but apparently it got canceled at some point. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. but yeah, but I'm gonna dive through them um, for Patreon. Um, yeah, so it'll be fun. Um, yeah, so again, that's on Amazon. Check the show notes for for links and everything. A um, couple other pieces of news that I have. Um, so, um, Tiny, the new Children of the Corn movie, have you seen the trailer or have you, it's in theaters right now. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Um, yeah. I have I have not seen the trailer. Okay. I would, you know, okay, here's the thing with the, the new Children of the Corn movie. Um, it was shot in 2020, from what I understand, and it was shelved for until now 
um, and it's getting a uh, sizable enough to where it's playing here, um, theatrical release. But the the reviews have been overwhelmingly negative, and the trailer looked very kind of just cheesy and slapped together. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to see it this weekend, but I just kind of didn't have the motivation. So maybe I'll see it like later this week and report back. Maybe I'll do like a solo episode or something because I don't want to force you to go to the movie theater to see a movie that <laughs> is probably going to be garbage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. How do you, have you ever read Children of the Corn or seen the original movie? I feel like I've asked you that before. I'm sure. I think you have. I have not read it, um, but I think I've seen maybe the first movie. I okay. want to say I I can't really remember. Yeah, I I don't really remember it all that well either. I really like the short story. Um, which also I covered Night Shift on Patreon, so another incentive for uh, Patreon. But I have a whole bunch of reviews of uh, Stephen King short fiction on there, The Church of King. But anyway, um, it the short story is really good. Um, but I I feel like the the original movie felt a little bit cheesy to me last I remember seeing it, and. I don't know. It just, it, this movie just, do, it looks like one of those adaptations that kind of just takes, takes a, 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 a bit of a concept from, from the story and doesn't really like, it's, it's not like a straight adaptation of it, which is fine. Like you don't need to adapt it exactly every time, but it also just kind of seems like they didn't really go, um, it, I don't know. It didn't really seem like there was much of an interesting angle for it for me to to be interested enough to see it. So, yeah, but I don't know. I'll see it eventually and report back, I'm sure. So, I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, the other piece of news that I have is uh, King on Screen, which is a Stephen King documentary. It's coming to theaters this summer. Uh, very excited about this. So I have a link to the Bloody Disgusting article in the show notes. Uh, basically, I'm going to read from it a little bit. The documentary, approved by Stephen King, will hit theaters in late summer with a digital release to follow in the fall. Uh, King on screen offers audiences an intimate sit-down with directors who have adapted King's work for the screen, looking at the movies and shows that have brought his body to, body of work in entirely new life. Both the ones that reached the top tier echelons of pop culture history and those that fell by the wayside into obscurity. Uh, among those sitting down for interviews for the film, uh, which actually had its world premiere at Fantastic Fest last year, uh, are Frank Darabont, Mick Garris, Mike Flanagan, uh, and Greg Nicotero. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Um, very interested to see that. Uh, how do you feel about it, Tiny? Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Um, if for no other reason than, um, you know, someone will be putting a camera in front of Frank Darabont. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he's so uh, uh, blacklisted right now, basically. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. Is, yeah, such a shame, um, given how talented he is and how much we like him, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I'm very curious to see what he has to say about uh, his work in the Stephen King verse, mm-hmm. um, and even his friendship with King um, as yeah. well. Right. So, the last piece of news I have is is pretty 
stupid. Um, basically, <laughs> um, like Stephen King, uh, he had tweeted at, uh, I, I don't know. I have a link here. It's, uh, Nick Adams's war, war of words with Stephen King snowballed into a controversy with several people coming out in support of the iconic writer. So, um, <clears throat> Nick Adams, who I don't really know what his deal is. He's an asshole, uh, asshole, like Twitter troll person, conservative, whatever. Um, so he hates anything, anything that, uh, you know, advances, you know, society in meaningful ways. But anyway, he said, uh, he tweeted, this is near Los Angeles, uh, where he showed it's a video of snow. Um, and it says, where, where is your global warming now, liberals? Um, and so Stephen King replied and said, were you born stupid or did you work at it? Um, <laughs> which I think is a pretty good burn. Um, and Adams responded, which, which by the way, Nick Adams, his Twitter handle is Nick Adams in USA and his display name is Nick Adams and in parentheses alpha male. So that should tell you everything you need to know about him. Um, yeah. And here's the thing. He said, <laughs> his dumbass response was, your books are shit. Try writing something real America cares about. Um, and then and then a bunch of people like kind of dragged him online and said like uh, another first grader response to one of the be- the biggest best-selling authors in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and like that America cares about bro. The shining sold 700,000 copies and was adapted into a movie that grossed nearly $50 million at the box office. Sure, buddy. Americans don't care. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but anyway, that just, that it's annoying, but also like it goes back to my, my major gripe with, like the Twitterverse and really it comes down to just conservative echo chambers. Um, but the idea that Stephen King doesn't understand what real America is or anything like that really just kind of gets under my skin because the guy was, the guy was working in a laundromat and in writing stories to, to feed his children in like the seventies. Like he understands what it means to be like, in a different uh, tax bracket, just because he is the like the arguably the most famous author on the planet, does not mean that he does not understand what real America is like or whatever. Um, yeah, so it's just totally annoying. ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't really want to give any more airtime to this alpha male. But <laughs> did you have any comments on that or anything, Tiny? Uh, it's just nice that, I mean, obviously that article, article, quote unquote, is a little uh, uh, one-sided, but, you know, mm. it seems like most of the people came to Stephen King's defense as opposed yeah. to the other guy. So that's that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Steve did not lose any sleep over it, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, it's, it, you know, the world is weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, that's all the news that I have. Do you have any check-ins, Tiny? Uh, no, other than starting the Dark Tower, that's my only, uh, starting the Gunslinger, that's my only check-in. Yeah, that's about the same for me. Um, I threw on, uh, Salem's Lot on Audible today, just for, just for shits and giggles, really, but, 
Um, it's one of my kind of go-to like re-listen things uh, I'll do in the background. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's not my favorite <laughs> King novel, but I figure that yeah. maybe since we're reading the 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 Dark Tower series, uh, I should prime myself with some of the books that uh, tie into the to the dark tower in one way or the the other so i don't know yeah um but yeah so do you want to get into our first installment of a many 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 installment uh series on the dark tower series yeah i'm ready all right great so let me go ahead and bring us into it so in this episode we're going to be covering chapter one of the gunslinger titled The Gunslinger. Um, And The Gunslinger as a novel is a really interesting beast in terms of uh, Stephen King's bibliography because these were initially published as short stories. Um, There are five stories. I'm pulling this from, I think, Wikipedia. Uh, The five stories that constitute the novel were originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. And I have seen like on, uh, not recently, but I've seen like on eBay and around the internet, like the original, like original publications of, of like the gunslinger and the way station and the Oracle and mountains and all that. Um, and I'm just like, Oh God, the, the Calvin tower in me wants to collect them and have them like on display. Like how great would that be to have like the full set? Um, that would be cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. But anyway, Uh, The Gunslinger was originally published in October 1978 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. And as we usually do like a non-spoiler and spoiler review, but since this is a read-along kind of experience, we're not going to do a non-spoiler section. I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary from this section of the Dark Tower series, um, and then we're going to go ahead and discuss it the entire the entirety of it so um so fair warning if you haven't read this this section think of it like a book club we're going to read this section and then uh and then we're going to discuss this section we won't spoil anything going forward but here in this section it's fair game so are you ready tiny yes sir okay Okay, so I'm going to read from Wikipedia, The Gunslinger, which is, again was published in October 1978 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, here is the summary. As Roland travels across the desert in search of the man in black, whom he knows as Walter, he encounters a farmer named Brown and Zoltan, Brown's raven. Roland spends the night there and recalls his time spent in Tull, a small town Roland passed through not long before the start of the novel. The man in black had also stayed in the town. He brought a dead man stricken by addiction to the opiate-like devil grass back to life and left a trap for Roland. Roland meets the leader of the local church who reveals to him that the man in black has impregnated her with a demon. She turns the entire town against Roland and Roland is forced to kill every resident of the town. When he awakens the next day, his mule is dead, forcing him to proceed on foot. So Tiny... I kind of want to delay our discussion just a little bit because I want to know what your uh, impression is having with this being the first time listening to the audiobook. Like, how did you feel about the audiobook experience for for this section of The Gunslinger? I am really enjoying it because it's it's nice to hear someone... uh, read the kind of mid-earth or end world uh mm. 
language you know what i mean like yeah some someone like a lot of the characters instead of saying yeah or yes will say yar yeah <laughs> and and like saying it like that how i just said it it sounds awkward and goofy but i think mm. when it's put in the context of the story and it's in the middle of a sentence or it's conversational it feels a lot more organic and it it fits nice. so much better um and and a lot of the a lot of the speech is like that there's some some goofy speech and you know thank you sigh is a, is a weird thing to say like yeah. it doesn't really <laughs> when you're just ha- doing a podcast in 2023 it doesn't really have <laughs> any gravitas to it but mm-hmm. um george guidal doing his thing mm. with you know giving giving voices to all these characters it fits and it's so much more uh so much more appealing and it it it, uh it gives it so much more weight to hear someone to hear a talented like actor read it out loud it just it fits a lot better and so it's for that reason alone i'm i i kind of wish i had come to these earlier uh the audiobooks yeah the performances in the audiobook audiobooks across the board are amazing um Frank Muller does the narration for two, three, and four, I believe. Um, he uh, passed away after a motorcycle accident in between four and five. Um, but he, like his performance is incredible. Um, uh, like his him voicing Eddie Dean is like it is it is top tier for me. Um, so I'm excited nice. for 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 that to come. But, um, yeah, but I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're audio booking it this time because, uh, the audio books are just really something really, really special to me, um, in my estimation. Uh, so how did you feel about this section revisiting this section? Um, it's been a while since you've reread the dark tower series. It's been several years, I believe. Several years. I can't put an actual number on it, but nice. you know, it's it's been several years. Nice. Um, so how did you feel about this section and everything? And then I'll I'll share my thoughts when when, when you're done. <laughs> yeah, I felt I felt good about it. I um I have a uh, passing relationship with the first book, you know. I, I don't you were just talking about how it's you know it's full dark tower and it's great and you would never yeah. tell someone to skip over it. Um uh and that's that's fine and i'm I, i'm glad you love it that way but i mm-hmm. i kind of i still think of it as a little prologue ish um oh yeah and, and and you know maybe i'll maybe that'll change with this with this read through um i feel like it's the least accessible of the seven books and it's kind of uh it's just kind of goofy there's a lot of talking and a lot of description there's not as much action um and so that that was sticking out to me for sure on this read through, but it also has the whole toll thing, which is um, a huge piece of action and something that I've, it's, it's, it's a piece of action that I've ran through my head multiple times and um, seeing, uh, imagining the, the, the gunslinger, uh Roland doing his hands performing their magic yeah. as it's said and as it's said in the book um is something that I I I my imagination really runs wild with it and mm-hmm. I I love I love the idea of that and that's such a it's just it's just cool like it's it's a it's a cool badass thing that 
you know, it's, it's like, I, I don't know what to compare it to, but you know, it's, it's, it's like a lightsaber. Like it's like a Jedi using a lightsaber. Yeah. Like it's just, it's inherently cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to put it so early in the series was a great idea. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, the, the movie sucked, but <laughs> yeah, there, uh, some of that, the, the magic of the gunslinger using his guns was mm-hmm. present in that movie. And it was kind of well done and it was actually pretty cool. Like yeah. that's one of the, one of the bright spots you can actually point to in that movie, one of the few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think they did a decent job with that in that movie. And and I, I sort of reference that when I'm reading this part of the book and when I'm re- referencing the whole action at Toll, mm-hmm. that's sort of what I'm thinking of. And nice. um, I love that part of the book. And I, I think um, there there's uh, the illustrated version of the book. There's some very cool, yeah. there's, there's some cool art when it comes to toll. I, I, I that piece of art sticks out in my head. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. one of the, the cooler parts of this walk of, of this read through, you know, it's, it's really about this, this opening section is about introducing Roland as a character who's been through a lot of stuff. He's, we're in a world that has moved on mm-hmm. and he is chasing this guy across the desert and he comes and meets this, uh, meets a farmer after this kind of traumatic experience in the town of Toll. And it's, it's a, a really good way to introduce it. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I didn't necessarily have that opinion in my other read throughs. Like, I guess, and you know, again, I have the bias of having read through this before, but, yeah. um, it's it's a good place to start because, like I said, it has all those things. It gives us the context of his trauma, and it uh, it it gives us a little bit of action, and it um, um, doesn't throw too much at us at at the beginning. It's it's a good start. I I agree, and what's interesting to me is that I um in in reading this section several times the last couple of weeks, um. Yeah. I have come to the conclusion that I I believe that this is the perfect way to begin this series. And I think that there are elements to it that obviously stretch out through the entire series. Um but the thing that I kind of I've I've been really honing in terms of my appreciation for for the series. And one of the things that like um I talked about this before but when the news broke that Mike Flanagan had the rights, like I saw people being kind of um, asses about it and saying like, oh, yeah, every episode's going to have a 10 minute monologue and everything. And like my reaction is, yes, hell yes, do that. Um, OK. Yeah. yeah. And that's specifically because at the Dark Tower's heart, um, along with it's a it's a melting pot of different genres and different themes and different ideas all put together, but at the center of it, I believe, in my opinion, <clears throat> is the magic of storytelling and the importance of storytelling, of palavering. Yeah, and totally. Yeah, and that's something that goes through the entire series. Um, and I find it so entrancing that we get a small window into that in this section, in this first chapter of the first novel, because... This story, this this section of the Dark Tower series is a Russian Russian nesting doll of of a story. So we've got Roland chasing the man in black, and then he meets Brown, who then gets him to tell him about Toll. 
And in his telling of Toll, um, the story goes into a, a an inner flashback of Allie telling Roland about Walter and Nort. And then it goes back to Roland and and uh and Allie. And then it goes to the death of Toll and then back to Roland and Brown. And it's just this it's this entrancing just level of storytelling, like level upon level of storytelling that also acts as the perfect introduction to um, introduction to the protagonist, which is one of the greatest characters in all of Stephen King's multiverse and everything. Um, And it also gives us a taste of how just peculiar the story is going to get and how, how weird it is like little hints here and there, like the, um, like, uh, the piano, uh, the pianist playing Hey Jude and the man in blacks just, uh, off the cuff remark about, um, uh, once more with feeling like they say in the world next door and just like little mm. bits and pieces like that is it's just so intoxicating and entrancing and gives us a lot to chew on in this first section. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you feel about the storytelling structure of this, of this section of, of the series? Yeah, that is such a good point. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's another, um, another notch on the belt of this, of this series is that it's, um, it, it is, it is a, a storyteller's story mm-hmm. because there are sections like this part of Tull where, um, uh, he's telling the story to Brown mm-hmm. and that's in this first, you know, the first couple hundred pages or a hundred pages of this, Mm-hmm. you know 5000 plus uh page story yeah and it sort of sets up how important that is mm-hmm. and there's later on in the series there's it comes up multiple times you know there where someone just tells a story or someone mm-hmm. context is a big thing and and you know this this series touches on so many themes there's there's adventure there's uh, love story there's science fiction there's horror um western. all that stuff western yeah and and, yeah. and at its core it's a good versus evil too which is mm-hmm. about as basic as it gets oh, yeah. for a storytelling like sophomore sophomore year literature class uh yeah. you know learning about <laughs> literature like that's <laughs> it's it, it's such a it's such a uh literary feast in that regard because yeah. it touches on all these themes and 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 it hits all these notes of what it is to tell a good story. Absolutely. And, and I, I love that you brought that up because I didn't even think about that that context of how storytelling is a part of this story. Oh, like it's absolutely like they're so great. Yeah. Like there are whole books in this series that are complete flashbacks. Like the entirety of the mm-hmm. book is a flashback. Um, and yeah, I just, I love that as this just idea that's, that's present even from the beginning and, uh, yeah. So, and a lot of the conversations aren't just conversations either. That's mm -hmm. the other thing. Like, like part of this, I I think if this ever gets adapted or when this gets adapted, Mm -hmm. when, when Roland and Brown are having this storytelling palaver, this conversation, Mm -hmm. 
I think there's going to be a ton of subtext. Like, oh, I think, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of visual cues because it said like, like, um, I think Brown brings it up. He says a line like, have you decided whether or not I'm a, I'm an enchantment, I'm a, an enchantment or something yeah. like that, like a, a figment of your imagination or, mm-hmm. or a, you know, a, a whatever that the man in black left behind for you. Yeah. Um, and you know, and he's like, if I am, I don't know it. And mm-hmm. that's intriguing as hell. That's and, so interesting. Yeah. Right. And like, that's not, that's not just a couple of guys having a conversation. That's, that's conflict. Like this is, Oh yeah. That that's, that's how, what I love about Stephen King's writing and uh, by proxy, Mike Flanagan's filmmaking style yeah. is conversations and monologues can be conflict. Like it's not yes. just people talking. It's conflict. It's context. It's, it's advancing the plot. It's it's advancing the plot. It's, it's catharsis. It's mm-hmm. development. It's all these things. And that's why I love monologues. And yeah. I love the way Stephen King writes and Mike Flanagan tells stories. It's it's. It's so much more than that. And I, I hate it when people shit on him for that. So, <laughs> me, yeah. me, me too. And I want to talk about his uh, scene with Brown, like the meet, him meeting Brown uh, and everything. But first, let, let me, let me, let's go kind of point by point um, through the different mm-hmm. layers of the story. I think that would be kind of the easiest way to go about this. Um, so it starts with obviously the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Um uh first of all iconic i mean there's no way around it the single greatest opening line of anything i've read it's like (laughs) it's just it's incredible um yeah how do you feel about that opening line tiny (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's great you know i when i read this for the first time i didn't think much about it like oh yeah honestly it didn't necessarily jump out to me like i know interesting yeah, I know Stephen King considers it to be the greatest sentence he's ever written. Um, which hey, right on. I mean, yeah. I there's probably other examples I could think of that I like more mm. in his career. Um, but it is, you know, if if you break it down um grammatically and contextually and all the if you want to get into all the literature of it and yeah. how it's you know, it's it is a very well written sentence, mm. and I I like it as a as a beginning to the story. But mm. you know, it doesn't necessarily have. I don't want to say it doesn't have significance for me, but it doesn't. Um, I I don't. I don't know. I I don't look at it as it's not what I think about really when I think about the Dark Tower. Interesting. Yeah, and you know it's. That's fair. I don't I don't like think about it all that much either to be to be frank, but I think that just in the in the kind of syntax of that of that opening of the opening words of the story, like it tells it brings us right into it. It's it, I mean, sure, everything after that is it's like it's the man in black flight across the desert and the gunslinger followed. The desert was the apotheosis of all deserts. Uh 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 empty i don't know but and then it goes into like this very this very descriptive descriptions of the hard pan and how he how roland is is just endlessly chasing the man in black and how he can't he doesn't even find like his his you know shit <laughs> like he doesn't find any of his waste or anything he just sees like the remnants of 
the campfire from the devil grass because it's literally the only thing that will burn. Um, and there's also that description of the devil grass as being this, like, like the summary said, a kind of opiate kind of, uh, substance that, uh, I think it's described as, um, luring people into it and like with the voices, uh, kind of like something else that happens in later in the, in the series. But, um, <clears throat> but it has this hypnotic effect and an ad- addictive property, uh, which comes into play in Tull and everything. But it's, it's just something that for a story that is setting up the, the world that has moved on, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, it's just such an elegant way to bring us into it with just this iconic sentence. Um, I don't know. I just, I really love it. Totally. Yeah. That's, and I, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. Yeah. Oh no. I understand you hate it. You want it to start once upon a time, Roland. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, um, but that encounter with Brown, um, I I love that because we like we at this point we don't know why he's chasing the man in black. Well, I mean we know that he's chasing him to get to the dark tower. He he is someone who is going to lead him to the dark tower. We don't understand why he's going to the dark tower yet. We don't understand what is pulling him to the dark tower. We don't understand any of that. But all we know is the bare bones that he's chasing this man who holds the key to get to the dark tower. That's all we know. But what I love about it in this in this whole section is this feeling of paranoia throughout Roland throughout all sections of this section um when he's talking to brown he's wondering if he's an enchantment he's wondering if he is a trap that's set by uh the man in black to kill him and when he gets to toll he wonders where the trap is what's what's the trap and then eventually it leads to sylvia pittston who is he's wondering is this the trap and everything and then the massacre of Toll happens and he like he it's like he f- passes a test that is the trap set by the man in black. So I don't know, just this feeling of paranoia that goes throughout this entire section is is really palpable to me for Roland. And I really like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so the there's there's a lot of information in his meeting with brown where he talks about how like he's seen or like leading up to the meeting with brown as well um he talks about how he's seen a tahin that they're looking for agul sienta uh siento um and he uh there was another thing i was gonna say that's oh, oh talking about like one of the early things is he, it says that uh, the the gunslinger progressed through the kef and got uh, to perhaps its fifth level, um, which in the context of this, it feels like it's supposed to mean that the kef is this spiritual kind of uh, meditation that is able to keep you from needing, you know, sustenance in the desert and everything. But I kind of feel mm-hmm. like the word kef changes in the series because it's, I think it's more of a spiritual, well, maybe it doesn't change necessarily, but it's like to share Kef. That's the reason why I'm naming these episodes Kef is that you're sharing Kef, like you're sharing your soul and your your essence with another person, basically. Um, okay. <clears throat> with your comate, Tiny. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, did you, did you have any thoughts on that? And did that stick out to you at all? 
It did because I didn't remember it from my previous read throughs. Um, hmm. But it, it did jump out to me, and I was, you know, thinking about the logistics of traversing a desert and how hard it would be. Um, and that sort of makes it more, make more sense that he has that ability, at least mm. at an elementary level or a beginner level, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting, the little hints here and there of just like the, the world and everything, which also brings me, let, let's talk about the state of the world. Um, it, that's such a heavy sentence. Um, so <laughs> it's obviously stated several times the world has moved on. Um, that is a recurring thing that is brought up throughout the entire series. It's one of the kind of like Dark Tower isms um, that occurs throughout the series. Um, what, what have you, what, what did you, what have you always thought of when, when you hear the world has moved on? Like, cause the actual phrasing is the world had moved on, it had emptied. What is your kind of, uh, interpretation of that? I feel like it's a, um, it's at its core, it's a phrase that's used to describe a um, phenomena, basically. Mm. Um, because you know, we 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 get some context later in the books, other books about what happened, mm -hmm. you know, but that event and those conflicts didn't necessarily affect everyone uh, and, and and the whole world that this takes place in um wasn't directly affected by that mm -hmm. except it created it 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 created like a cosmic void or like a magical void that tends to uh just kind of ruin everything or just mm -hmm. kind of make things not right like something is wrong that's mm -hmm. that's it's it's almost like the characters in this universe it's their way to say that something is wrong and something is it's like this is not the way things used to be and something has changed basically i that that's kind of how i view it it's also i think you could sort of simplify it and say that an apocalyptic event happened. Mm -hmm. Something apocalyptic happened, and this is the post-apocalypse, and everything is wrong. Nothing is okay. There's, there's no hope. I, I think it's. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a sort of a bit of a metaphor for hope. Like no one has any hope anymore. Yeah. Because um, everything is so messed up. Nothing. Nothing is. There's no more purity left. Everything is tainted in some way. I think it's kind of all those things wrapped into one, I guess that's sort of how I interpret it. Um, but it's, it, it is a very brilliant part of the story because mm -hmm. it's so, it encompasses a lot of things. And, and I think it's yeah. a, a very clever way to describe a um, kind of a hellscapish afterlife kind of post-apocalypse post-apocalyptic kind of thing where you know you can't necessarily put your thumb on it and it's and it's i think i think the biggest thing about it is it's sort of cosmic or it's kind of um magical it's not necessarily 
like um you know like oh a bomb went off and mm. after the bomb went off there's all these things like you can it, it's sort of like a, an all-encompassing thing to describe the the malaise and the horribleness of of the world they occupy which is it's super super fucking bleak <laughs> and it's kind of i think it could be a turnoff for some readers cuz it's mm. very like there's not a lot of joy especially in the gunslinger like this is <laughs> right. a dark ass i mean it's it's mm. dark as hell um i think it gets better in future books and there's a mm. lot of joy but like it's it's bleak and i think when we find those bleak moments every that's that's what the characters do yeah um, the characters just like the world has moved the world has moved on mm-hmm. and that's just kind of their explanation that's that's i love the way that you put that because that the the level of it being cosmic and out of control and everything uh is really interesting um is really is really unique because <clears throat> on the surface it does it feels like a post apocalyptic story it feels like a post atom bomb story um, it feels like the kind of story cause, cause like he's, when he gets to Tull and he's, he has the hamburgers, um, and she says like, oh, it comes from threaded stock. And he's like, yeah, threaded stock, my ass. This has, this had probably like three eyes and four, four heads or something. Um, that gives to me like this idea of like, oh, you know, um, you know, atomic weaponry and, uh, nuclear Holocaust and mutations and everything, which is, is something that is hinted at and pervasive throughout the story or throughout the series. But there is also that cosmic energy, that idea that time moves different. And like the way that Ali says, like time's funny out here, you know, Um, because there's no way of like telling how time is going and everything like there's no sense of time. It just feels like everything's spinning off in, in the wrong direction and the wrong speed. Um, so I think that that's an interesting, interesting way of melding like a kind of science fictiony and fantasy idea with the more, uh, sadly, like realistic version <laughs> or realistic idea of a post-apocalypse or a nuclear holocaust or anything. Um, <clears throat> and it paints just a very vivid picture, um, as vague as it is, right. vague and vivid, if that can be. Uh, if that can be said without being completely contradictory, <laughs> <laughs> it's ox- oxymoronic. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Tull. Um, because something I found interesting, I- I'm gonna go on kind of a little bit of a soapbox here. Um, and I'm gonna say that the reason why I think that this is the perfect introduction to the Dark Tower series is because. At its heart, this has so many elements of Stephen King's tropes and the things that he works well within, um, <clears throat> but in a very different context. So once once um, Roland gets to Tull and he's telling the story about him being in Tull and then it turns into the story of, of the man in black coming to Tull and then it comes back to Roland and Tull and Sylvia Pittston and everything, like... The hallmarks of this, like the, when you look at it from the outside in the broad strokes, this is a classic Stephen King narrative. A wanderer goes into a small town, a small community, 
and affects change within that community to some respect. He interacts with the characters of that community and then that community is under the spell of a religious zealot and there's a dark religious force at its center and everything and there's this weird supernatural element to it as well and then the hero of the story has to do something drastic at the end and like that feels like a classic Stephen King narrative like like just even like when listening to Salem's Lot Salem's Lot Ben Mears, uh, I think, yeah, Ben Mears goes into Salem's Lot and meets a woman, and then he's just interacting with people and everything. Like, that is a trope of Stephen King. Like, Under the Dome, Barbie, he's just in Chester's Mill, and he's interacting with the town and everything. Um, here, Roland is just in, like, the only, the only place within, like, that's mappable, <laughs> mappable distance that is populated, and there is a town killing event that occurs and i just find that to be really interesting and i think that that's why that's why this is the perfect entry point because for people who are fans of stephen king they can see the markings of stephen king even in this very wild crazy out there premise i think the skeleton of it is still very much stephen king um yeah did you make any of those connections yeah i think so especially now that you you said it, yeah. That's totally, mm-hmm. uh, totally touches on his his tropes and his kind of bag of tricks. But mm-hmm. um, to add to that, it's also Tull is like kind of a microcosm for mm-hmm. what's happened in in yeah. this this world. You know, I there there's no uh, there's no towns or cities that are thriving anywhere. You know, this is this is the result of the world moving on Mm -hmm. and and this is you know people aren't like uh, they're not like they don't have like jobs there's no there's no hope the kids aren't getting any education um there's yeah you know there there's no it's hard to come by water Mm -hmm. no one no one experiences any luxury there no one has any money Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's kind of a um kind of a hellscape i guess i don't yeah. i don't know if that's that's the right way to put it but it's you know there's there's just no there there's there's no hope again there's no hope there's just no yeah. hope at all like no no one has anything to look forward to um it's not it's not a joyous thing if mm. someone has a baby or gets pregnant right. it's not particularly sad if someone dies because like hey at least it's over for them at least mm. they get to get out of this shit you know and it's it's just Again, it's super bleak, but it's yeah. um, it's it 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 paints paints a vivid picture to kind of mm-hmm. to kind of steal your phrase there. Um, yeah, and I if did, someone dies, just, like, some guy will come and resurrect him, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but it's also again, you know, to kind of put it in context to the whole story, like this happens again where Roland or who uh, you know other characters come upon a town, and it's mm-hmm. a lot like Tall, like they're yeah. all very worn down tiny mm-hmm. population no one's happy there's no hope everything is just droll and horrible and dreary and mm-hmm. and it's 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 a, again it's a good introduction and it's just kind of a microcosm for what's what's going on in in this universe yeah absolutely and just um i i like that that small element this is this is kind of um <clears throat> i don't know this is kind of this is kind of a a light part of it but basically when 
Roland is with Allie and uh, Sheb comes in and attacks them with the knife and everything. That also kind of just tells you so much more about the atmosphere of Tull because like Allie is, is someone who she has an itch that she used to be able to scratch, but can't scratch anymore. So Roland, come on and, you know, give it to me. Um, but, Mm -hmm. uh, Sheb is someone who like, it's just an interesting kind of small town idea that he felt possessive of Allie because he hooked up with her and, and everything. And it's just, I don't know, that sense of community that comes in when she, when she like calls him an ass and says like, how are you going to make your money like playing the piano? Cause you're, you just broke your hand and everything. It's still like that kind of caring community and everything of like, okay, well let me look at it and see how it is. Even though you just pulled a knife on me and uh, the gunslinger. So I don't know. Did that, did that mm-hmm. resonate with you at all? No, I guess I didn't really pick up on that very okay. much. Um, I mean, I remember that part, but yeah. Well, it's a little bit I overshadowed I, by Roland recognizing him from Magus, which we'll talk about uh, eventually. Right? Yeah, that's that's what stuck out to me about that yeah. conflict or that that interaction. Yeah, which I think is one of the slight detriments to it being revised. Um, we talked about it a little bit on Patreon, but just the idea of it being revised to add in a lot of like lingo and stuff and a lot of the um world building or a lot of, a lot of the references that have been that that have been fleshed out throughout the series um it just it seems a little bit a little bit uh direct when without those references and everything this is a very wonderfully told story of this man wandering a wasteland um so yeah so i don't yeah. know but it's a minor complaint um, should we talk about the flashback to the man in black coming to Toll and resurrecting Nort? Um, yes. Yeah. So this is our introduction to the man in black, um, as this sorcerer person who is able to manipulate things, uh, to his liking using kind of magical properties. He brings Nort back to life, who was a weed eater addict, um, who died, and was resurrected. And one of the things that that stuck out to me in this section is when Nort goes to Allie, I think it's when he's talking to Allie, and he asks why why the man in black didn't make me like he could have made me not want it, but I still want the devil, the devil's grass. Like I still want it. Why did he do this? If he could do this, why did he still make me want it? And I'm like, that is the man in black. Like he's this mischievous mm. character and he is evil basically. And it's just, I don't know. I felt like that was a really interesting window into the, uh, the general chicanery of the man in black. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did you feel about his interactions in Tull? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, what kind of jumped out to me is it sort of, sets the tone of of the man in black being a little like he he's definitely what you said he's he's evil he's mischievous but he kind of has this like like a court jester yes um, quality to him uh and i think that sort of plays out in here in, in this this part of the story because he when they're just when when it's just, they're describing the resurrection of Mort, he's Nort. he's like 
Nort, sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, he's like jumping around and like like jumping over him and like hollering and howling like a wolf. And he's like 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 super over the top. And like if I'm yeah. if I'm picturing this in my head, it's like it's kind of dumb and like <laughs> kind of it's it's just weird. Like like if if you like again, I, I I can't help but imagine this as a movie or a show or whatever. Right. And I you know compile these scenes in my head, and this scene is goofy. Like it's mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to visualize it without it being goofy, um, and over the top. Um, that's what kind of jumps out to me about it. And and I think it could, you know, be edited and captured in a uh appealing way in a mm-hmm. uh, menacing way however you want it to be but i i feel like the way it's written in the book is just sort of goofy and like i kind of like crack a smile when i was <laughs> reading it or listening to it and i'm like well, really he's jumping around and spitting on him and howling like a wolf or whatever like I that's just that's just kind of over the top and goofy to me. I can understand that. And I definitely I definitely understand where you're coming from, but the image I have in my head is uh Heath Ledger's Joker when uh after the car chase when he is jumping around on like uh like when when one of his henchmen gets shocked by by Batman's suit and then he's jumping around and everything's like buzz buzz um yeah he's very like animated that's kind of the vibe i'm getting from it um okay but yeah but i think that yeah i think the man in black is he's just a larger than life character like you said he's like a court jester magician person um who um i think that the juxtaposition of roland being this just uh this uh, very not stereotypical but this archetypical you know, Western ideal, like Western uh, gunslinger character archetype. Like he's patterned after, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood's work and like the Man with No Name trilogy, trilogy. Um, and his work. And like he is the epitome of like a Western figure. Um, to have that juxtaposed with this sorcerer who is able to, who has like this mischievous, um, evil within him like the whole idea of him uh leaving a note for ali saying like hey uh the word is 19 say 19 to nort and he will tell you everything you need to know about death and what's beyond um by the way that that number again is 19 and so like just put that puts into her brain this idea that like i'm gonna say it i'm like there's no way i'm not going to say it um Mm -hmm. and she does it and you know yeah which by the way um Having read Revival, um, I can't help but just imagine that, like, what Nort told uh, Allie was that, it, like, basically, I'm imagining that he just read the end of Revival to her. <laughs> like, that's nice. my that's my headcanon for for the that scene in in the Gunslinger. <laughs> that's a cool connection. I hadn't thought of that. That's really good. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, the Man in Black wreaks his havoc and everything, and let's talk. Uh, let let's kind of move on and talk about. Well, do you have anything else to say about the Man in Black or Roland and Alley? Um, not really. No. Okay. Um, no. Okay. Let's talk about Sylvia Pittston then, 
And mm-hmm. this is another this is another like Stephen King connection that I I just love. It is him exploring this dark religion, this this kind of uh evil Christianity uh to an extent. Like it's stuff that is has is all over his work obviously like Carrie and um other works and everything revival even um but like just this dark religion and that like that's something that stood out to me here um this read through is the way that Sylvia Pittston like i mean okay this was a written, uh, initially published in 1978 and it's sad that like i can see correlations to today um, because like her sermon about the interloper is, is like the, it it is projection. It is her saying that like, oh, the interloper loper will come and he is the antichrist and he will, uh, bring, bring about, uh, he'll, he'll like birth a child for the crimson king and everything. Like he, she says all of this. And then in the next scene, when Roland confronts her, she's like, yeah, I'm pregnant with, with the, uh, the, the demon child of the Crimson King. I'm, I'm the person that I was preaching again, preaching about to my entire congregation as if it was you. And it's just like that level of projection in terms of, uh, kind of dark religion and spreading hate really is really, really affected me this read through. Um, how did you, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I had kind of forgotten about the Sylvia Pittston character. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know why because mm-hmm. it's really uh, uh kind of memorable and, yeah. and um you know, terrifying. Uh, well, it kind of gets overshadowed by just the whole massacre of Toll. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. And, you know, she's I I love that sermon cuz it's just so evil and Yeah wicked and uh, it's 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 mischievous it's it's meddling it's meddling mm-hmm. mischievousness like like the the man in black does yeah um so it's 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 great for that um and i had i had kind of i think i think i had kind of forgotten about her because i sort of had a misconception or a different idea of what the massacre actually was. Oh, interesting. And so I think that's kind of why I had sort of forgotten about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the scene a lot and it's sort of, um, it's sort of, uh, foreshadowing for some future stuff, mm-hmm. um, that obviously I'm not going to talk yeah. about yet, but, um, I wish we would have went you... into that in Patreon. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think of it either, but, um, <clears throat> next time we'll talk about it on Patreon. <laughs> Right. One thing I kind of want a clarification on, and I hope you get this or you got it was Mm -hmm. I I'm not sure of the, for lack of a better word, the mechanics of what he did when he removed the demon from her. I don't really understand. I'm not sure if we're supposed to understand or like, yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be clear cut what he actually did. Like, it's sort of like he drew his guns. Mm-hmm. Did he? Did he fire his gun? Did he? Uh, pardon, pardon the crudeness of this. Did he insert the barrel mm-hmm. of the gun inside of her? Like I don't know what he did, but I know it's 
fucked up. Like yeah. it's it's like I'm I'm disturbed. It, it's funny because it's not explicit, but it's still very disturbing. It is incredibly disturbing, and it is intentionally vague as well. I don't know exactly what the mechanics were, and I remember that when friend of the show Kim C over at the year of underrated Stephen King, I remember she got to that point in the gunslinger and like i remember in her episode she was talking about how she reread over that over and over again trying to figure out what exactly it was and she she was kind of at a loss too so i kind of had that in the back of my mind when i was reading through it this time and the best i can the best i can make of it is that i don't think he fired the gun into her um but there is that just really cringy just disgusting um <clears throat> description of her body pulling pulling the gun into her i think um to an okay. extent um but i think that there's a slight reference to the magic of the guns and like that makes me think maybe there's some kind of metaphysical force that comes from the guns that without like firing it into her <clears throat> essentially just aborts the child um okay i don't know what to make of that really um except to just clear my throat very obnoxiously in the middle of speaking but um (laughs) but uh but i really don't i don't know what to make of that i think that it's supposed to be this kind of metaphysical um enchantment that he does like maybe it's supposed to be a slight hint that he has some kind of like sorcery in him And maybe, Mm -hmm. like, the best I can describe, or the best I can kind of rationalize that is that maybe King had that idea in his mind when he wrote it. Maybe he had the idea that Roland is able to do magic like the Man in Black is, and then maybe he just decided to just not do that anymore. (laughs) Like, maybe that was it so i don't know um but it's still super effective so it's not it doesn't necessarily matter what he did yeah oh yeah and like it's it's an interesting piece of horror in this like i said this melting pot of different genres and everything so like for the most part this is a post-apocalyptic western story and like we get shades of horror with this and with with uh with uh with nort being resurrected and then with the massacre as well and it's just it's a really interesting just blend of so many different things um yeah yeah Yeah. um having said that do you want to talk about the gunfight the uh the the massacre of toll at the hand of roland uh deshane yeah and and i'll i'll kick it off by Mm -hmm. saying i think i was under the misconception and I think it is a misconception that mm. I, I, the first two times I had read this, I thought that when Allie says the word 19 to Nort, that it triggers some kind of uh. enchantment or some kind of um, whatever spell that takes over the people of the town and essentially turns them into like attacking zombies that are supposed to attack roland mm. and take him out and kill him right that that's what i thought happened uh i'm pretty sure that's not what happens right like basically basically uh sylvia just brainwashes everyone and convinces yeah. everyone that roland is the interloper and that mm-hmm. he has to be cut out or killed or whatever and it's it's just it's just good old brainwashing which mm-hmm. is honestly like kind of uh better than than an <laughs> yeah. enchantment than than zombies because it's 
it's it's not it's not magic like right. like the uh the the man in black is so menacing because he can do spells and sorcery and magic but to in order to do this to uh seriously wound and almost kill the gunslinger mm-hmm. uh the only gunslinger that's left he just basically brainwashes people yeah and you know th- just just through through that action He's able to, because I mean, I think at, at at the end of it, I don't mean to jump ahead, but at the end mm. of it, it's there's a line about how he's got like 20 wounds, and yeah. he, I mean, he 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 gets he kind of gets his ass kicked, well, like he gets he gets hit, hit with stuff, and he's yeah. bleeding. And well, I mean, here's the thing about that: the only he it mentions that every wound is pretty much superficial, except for the cut to his calf, and I found right. that to be really interesting because that is that is done to him by a child and i think that that's an interesting just piece of information to kind of just give us that like the only the only like non superficial wound is f- from the hand of a child and i think that that just really helps to bring out the abject horror of what happened in tull and how like they lost their damn minds um by from like because of sylvia pittston by you know uh by the man in black by proxy um i just thought that that was an interesting kind of like flourish to be like yeah the one the one uh serious wound came at the hand of a child just like the the um symbol of innocence like that mm-hmm. is yeah is there i just i i really like that uh amidst all the horror of of the the massacre really um, yeah and kind of on a on a on a macro level i guess just the idea of the gunslinger the the book is called the gunslinger and it is about the last gunslinger in a world that has moved on and this man is someone who has devoted his life to to you know being able to keep the peace with gun with guns like that's his that's his trade he is a gunslinger and the sole the sole action set piece in this section in the first section of this series is him just murdering an an entire town of men, women, and children that are under the spell of of you know brainwashing and everything, like unarmed men, women, and children are killed at the hands of the gunslinger in this, and I think that the, that's just a such a ballsy introduction because this is not it, it's telling us that this is not like a an action packed western. This isn't this isn't Roland finding a town and defending it or anything that comes later <laughs> um right <laughs> and that has its own mess of problems too but yeah uh, like in terms of like his experience and everything but <clears throat> mm-hmm. here we just have him just murdering unarmed people to defend himself and it's such an interesting ballsy way to bring us into this to this story that is you know on its surface uh, built around an archetype of like the Western, the Western genre archetype of, of a hero. Um, so I just really like that. I've always liked that part of it. Yeah. I, and, and to kind of piggyback off that, he, I think it helps establish 
or kind of drives drives the last the last swing of the hammer on the nail of the idea that Roland isn't he's kind of an anti-hero. He's not oh, yeah. he's not just the the blatant good guy because he's throughout this section of of this this book he's he's basically using Allie. They're using mm. each other pretty much. There's no there's no love there. It's not he makes other comments throughout this section that are very heartless. You know, he talks mm-hmm. about like, like he, when he's talking to Brown, he's like, have you ever thought about eating that Raven? Oh yeah. And it's like, dude, like it can talk. Like it has a, <laughs> right. It's like, it's more like his pet. Like you're going to eat your pet. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like, like and there, there's little comments like that and other things that he says <laughs> that are um more in the category of an anti-hero yeah. and someone who's not necessarily likable. Mm-hmm. Um, and doesn't necessarily do the right thing. He does the next thing that yeah. gets him through his journey and gets him onto the next part. It's not about right or wrong, mm-hmm. uh, at least this point in the story. Um, and, and this is another example of that. He's like, you know, I, I don't want to use the word murder because he's being attacked and sure. The people are, I, the people are armed in a way because like a lot of people are carrying knives and that's like, fair. Yeah. They're carrying weapons. So like, there's an element of self-defense. I'm not trying to go all George Zimmerman here, but like, <laughs> sure. Um, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I know. I mean, it, <laughs> but yeah, th- th- there's, he, there's an element of self-defense, but at the same time, he could have ran away. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's other, he didn't necessarily have to kill all these people, <clears throat> but kind of had to, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and and again, these people are all under the, you know, brainwashing of the man in black. So yeah. they're they're sort of collateral damage. But at the you know, he doesn't what's funny is after this amazing conflict where the guns are roaring and making their music and mm. he's they're described that way, which is sort of melodious and uh celebratory in a way it's, <laughs> yeah um like like a piece of art and it's just like he's killing people bro right um after all that he 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 goes to sleep and he stays yeah. in the town amongst presumably dozens of bodies yeah and gets up and leaves in the morning and, and like that's some cold-hearted shit man i mean oh, yeah. he's not he's not just a good guy you know right. he, he's not like you were saying, he's not necessarily the the architect archetypical hero, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a Western context. He's uh yeah. yeah, it's 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 interesting and it's really pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That's at the end of the day, it is it is very cool. Like like you said, yeah, the, like the illustrated edition, like the artwork of that, it, like with him st- and I think it's in the comics as well. Him standing just amidst this row of dead people that is at his feet mm-hmm. is something that stuck with me. Like the artwork is is really really uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah, and just the if I don't know I don't, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but if if you the the <laughs> art and skill of operating a mm-hmm. uh, revolver um, a, a revolver gun is. Mm-hmm incredible like if you're if anyone's ever curious go on youtube and just watch like some of the best shooters in the world work Mm -hmm. a revolver like that's what this story is describing and Mm -hmm. like it's i think it may be hard for some people to imagine what he's doing but Mm -hmm. like like he's you know the way he the reloading a revolver is cumbersome at best Mm -hmm. like it is a slow 
you're grabbing an individual bullet and sliding it into yeah. a chamber and then you rotate. I mean, it, it is a whole thing and it's not, it's not something you want to be doing when you're being attacked by a group mm-hmm. of people. And, um, I, I, the, again, the, 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 the imagination, the way my imagination runs with that is amazing. And like yeah. I, I, the, the visual that pop into my head from the writing in this is incredible. And mm-hmm. I, I love the, the descriptions of the, I, I wish I could remember the exact wording, but something about the roaring of the guns yeah. and their, uh, the guns doing their thing. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember the exact wording, okay. but it's, it's, it's kind of poetic mm-hmm. and it's, you're describing killing someone and yeah. it's, uh, but it's, it's in the context of just this, um, uh, I don't want to say badass, but just this kind right. of um, uh, necessary thing. Like mm-hmm. this is what these this is what these guns are for. It's for killing yeah. people, and they're and, doing their thing. Yeah, it's it's impressive, yeah. and it is a statement. And, and yeah, that's what Roland is for. Like that's what he is. He right. is a gunslinger, and I love that. I love the the introduction of that whole sequence. Really, is Ali saying like, "Oh, I, I said the word. I saw it. You need to kill me. Kill me, please." And then, um, I think the wording is something to the effect of uh, Roland. Uh, his hands were able to do the thing that she asked because that's what they were made for. Like that's what he's yeah. made for. He's built for it. Like thousands of years of of history is in his fingertips to do the thing that she's asking of him. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's the scope of that is, is really, really amazing. Um, my, my kind of homework for you, Tiny, is if (laughs) you can find a YouTube video of someone doing like a speed reload of revolvers that could be approximated to being like, like Roland's like, uh, uh, reloading trick. Um, because that's always been something that's been a little bit like, hard for me to kind of visualize. Um, I can visualize it pretty well, but I think that it's, I don't know. I just, I want to see like someone like a badass reloading a revolver like that. <laughs> so totally. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay. So we're kind of going to wind down a bit. Um, that is the first section. It afterwards, he, uh, he, he talks to Brown, um, the mule is dead, and uh, Zoltan ate, Zoltan at the eyes, um, and so Roland is then on his way uh, to his next adventure. Um, Tiny, any any final thoughts on Chapter One, the Gunslinger? Um, any any thoughts on on anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about? Um, not necessarily anything we didn't touch on, but just to kind of reiterate the um effectiveness um the effectiveness of it and i kind of have a new appreciation of this opening Mm -hmm. i think um i again i I, what always jumped out to me was tall and the coolness of that for lack of a word (laughs) that's what kind of comes it's just cool and it's memorable and fun and it's a big action piece Mm -hmm. but um reading through it this time there's a ton of meat on the bone of this introduction and it's uh it's way better than i remember Mm -hmm. um and again, to, to just reiterate, I I love the the audiobooks are are shedding new yeah. light on it, and then just just the, again, the, I I really really love the performance mm-hmm. aspect of audiobooks, and there's some totally. really talented voice actors out there who are 
who do a great job. And I think mm-hmm. this is going to be one of them. Oh, absolutely. I like as an anecdote years ago, and I've talked about it on the podcast um, with no shame because I'm I have no shame for it because it's a it's a cool thing. But um, I remember like I had ripped the audiobooks and put them together into one massive audio file, like a massive MP3 that was every book in the Dark Tower series in chronological order in one file. And I would I would press play on it when I go to sleep and like I would just listen <laughs> to eight to six to eight hours worth of the Dark Tower series like while I was asleep. And like that was my white noise <laughs> while I slept. Um, unfortunately, I lost that file when my laptop died a few years ago. But um, but fond memories of that uh, nonetheless. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So, uh, I have no real parting thoughts. I, I think once again, just to reiterate, I think this is a perfect introduction to not only the Dark Tower series, but to the character of Roland Deschain. And something we didn't really talk about that I wanted to highlight here is that we don't even know Roland's name until Allie calls him that, uh, at the end of, at the end of this section. And I think that that is just so just for lack of a better word, cool and mysterious. I I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just speaks to the air of mystery of Roland Deschain, um, who we don't even know his last name is Deschain. We don't know anything about the line of Eld, Stephen Deschain. We know nothing. Um, and and I love it because yeah. And also to your point Tiny, about uh, this being a kind of badass section, like the more I th- like. We have long said that, like, yeah, an adaptation of the Dark Tower series would be great as, like, a five-season five TV series. Um, and, like, all I'm thinking is, like, this section could be, like, a limited series. <laughs> like, each section of The Gunslinger, the shortest novel in the Dark Tower series, has enough meat on the bones to facilitate an entire, like, limited series of like eight to 10 episodes, I'm sure. And I just, I, uh, yeah, there's, it's so weird to me that they didn't start the dark tower movie with this. <laughs> like it's right there, man. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just toll toll could have been a prequel limited yeah. series. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Like you said, like eight or 10 episodes. Totally. I could totally see it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think that will just about do it. Uh, tiny next time on the podcast, we might do an episode in between, but the next time we do a Kef episode, we're going to cover the way station, which is chapter two of the gunslinger. Uh, it was originally published in April, 1980 in the mu- in the magazine of, uh, fantasy and science fiction. Uh, we're going to talk about the way station. I'm very excited. Uh, the Patreon thing is going to be fun for that too. So once again, consider signing up on Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. We have several different tiers you can join, but if you want just Stephen King content, we have a $4 per month Patreon tier that is just Stephen King related stuff. There's a bunch already up there of, uh, of movie, uh, commentary tracks and, uh, uh, book reviews, and I did a whole read along review of Fairy Tale. I did a read along review of Billy Summers. I did, uh, like story by story reviews of Night Shift and Skeleton Crew and a couple other, uh, short, uh, short story collections that I can't remember right now. But anyway, a lot of stuff on there. Check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. 
and more Patreon stuff is going to be coming up there as well. Uh, Tiny, any parting thoughts for our listeners? Uh, can't wait to keep going. Yeah. Just looking me, forward to it. Yeah, me too. I'm so I'm I'm so amped. I'm so excited. So, all right, I'm gonna start playing us out so that I can start listening to the Waystation and making notes. Um, so once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, and I hope you guys are going on this journey with us. It's gonna be a long one, but. The Dark Tower is incredible. We love it, and we hope you love it, too, which if you're listening to this, I'm sure you do. So anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV, book, and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. That kind of worries me, but I'm still excited because it's yeah. been several years since I've read through it. So Yeah, and that's really interesting because we came to this series, we we read it together in 2010 um and that was like you said we we were both living at home we did not have any responsibilities we both worked a nothing job where literally we were paid to sit on our ass for eight hours and do nothing um so that time was spent reading that time was spent fantasizing that time was spent fan casting and just talking about like how we would want to do the series, how the series, how we would want the series to see to be and just like talking about the inner workings of it. Like that's something that, you know, is will never happen again. Like like we will never have that experience ever again uh, Mm -hmm. to have that level of um, that just to just have that level of really freedom to just dive into a piece of art um just yeah. because we're yeah. you know we're adults now <laughs> we <laughs> we have uh responsibilities and everything um yeah so it's just it's really interesting to think about that uh to think about the the series in in terms of where we were when we when we came to it and uh where we are now this podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.